0: Visit Stubforge.com and start making tickets today. Something is Don't follow it down. The victims of con artists are often known by many different monikers. Some might be unfamiliar to you like they were to me. For example, muggus, rubes or even gulls, which derives from the word gullible. But you may be more familiar with these ones marks suckers or stooges the one however that really resonates with me is target a target is defined as a place thing or in this case person at which an attack is aimed and as dr muir explains even the smartest and most educated are not exempt from becoming a target
1: people who are high in psychopathy kind of analyze your expectations your desires and then they reflect this back to you in what they call a psychological mask so it's obviously a facade they don't necessarily have these these perfect traits but they will adapt themselves to appear that they do so that they are this perfect match for you you know even researchers in this field they find can be fooled and manipulated by even known psychopaths that they've just met. So people they know are going to be psychopathic when they meet them, they can still be fooled by them. So it is very hard to gauge.
0: Coming up in this episode, like just another level
2: of deception, just a little forgery.
3: I know there is some scum out there. Trust me, I know, but I'm definitely not one of them.
2: He has told me tonight that he is sending through his life story and that's going to help me understand.
3: Dedicated to Emma Ferris, the one woman who made me drop my guard, the one woman who made me tell my story.
2: I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Shadow dark palm. Moving slow and stretching
0: tall in her hands Hold on my desk For the last six months, Andrew Tonks had been playing a game of chess with my sister Emma, and up until the 9th of April, 2019, she had no idea that she was playing it, let alone that Andrew was almost at checkmate.
2: This is very unreal right now, and I know that my world is going to keep coming, tumbling apart in the next... Few days. I haven't felt that I'm in danger, but others have made me feel that way, and that is probably at the back of my mind that I could be hurt. It's the reason why I'm probably making this video now in case something does happen.
0: That recording that Emma made the day after she'd found out who Andrew was was her insurance policy. If anything was to happen to her, the police would be in no doubt where to look. At this point, she had no idea who Andrew was, what he was capable of, and more importantly, where he currently was. But she did know one thing for sure. He wasn't going to get away with it.
2: My resolve is that I will not let anybody else be hurt like this, in this manner, with this man. (laughs) I know I'm a smart woman, and I have been duped. And I just, part of me, part of me still wants to believe that this isn't true, that for some reason they've got it wrong. They've got the story wrong. And then when I sent the picture through of him to the cops and they said, that's the guy again, I went, oh, my heart sunk, rocks dropped into my stomach and I just went, I oh, have been fooled.
0: She had been fooled and so had I. So had the banks, the real estate agents, the lawyers, investors and people that considered Andrew their friend. The day before that recording, when Emma had the $200,000 frozen in his account and subsequently returned to her, she had taken her first chess piece. But Andrew wasn't about to give up that easily on the $200,000. And that evening after the bank visit, the messages started to come in full throttle.
3: Ah, babe. Please try not to stress. I was furious over dinner at your brother, but then worked through it to think, hey, even someone looking out for you is good. The logic I'm not clear on is I could only see a win-win. But I know there is some scum out there. Trust me, I know. But I'm definitely not one of them.
0: So I imagine Andrew has to take stock. He still has a 100000 of Emma's money. And crucially, he still thinks that he has Emma's heart. So it's not inconceivable that he could get Emma to part with that $200,000 again. So he gets grifting.
2: So I'm waiting. He has told me tonight that he is sending through a a story he's writing this afternoon. He's been said to me, he's telling a story of his life story and that's going to help me understand. And he said that he's living up to the good parts yet. He's, only, he's still got more to write, but he's going to send him through what he's done now. I feel sick to my stomach thinking about the fact that he's literally working to write and manipulate. So we'll just wait and see what comes about um, in the next hour.
0: Andrew, the entrepreneur, now turned Andrew, the author. Keep in mind, at this stage, Emma is no longer speaking to Andrew face-to-face or even on the phone, so all communication is done via text or email. So, Andrew sends Emma this email.
3: Hey, babe. See what you think so far. I'll continue typing tomorrow night. I actually need to do some work now. I haven't even had time to proofread this yet, so please ignore mistakes. Love you.
1: People who con others, they thrive, like I've said, in the face to face interactions because they're skilled at reading body language. They rely on their own physical presence and and skills to manipulate and charm. So when they don't have a read on you face to face, it's quite unsettling for them. They do feel quite out of control. They're not as good as at communicating without that face to face reading. So that's probably where it might start to seem a bit chaotic.
0: Dr. Muir there. And yes, chaotic is a very apt description of what comes next. Emma opens the Word document that Andrew sent through, and the title reads The Tonka Trilogy. It starts with the following dedication.
3: Dedicated to Emma Ferris, the one woman who made me drop my guard, the one woman who made me tell my story, the woman who could extract complete honesty from me, And the one woman who asked me more questions than any interrogation I had ever experienced. I love you.
0: And that's followed by a list of nine chapter titles. Chapter one, for example, is titled, I was a fat kid. I loved cake. And leads on to chapters about his childhood. But the one that immediately stands out is chapter six. It's titled, Becoming a Spy. WTF? I wanted to be a businessman. Emma stops what she's doing and immediately gives me a call.
2: So we wanted to record this for several reasons because the story that this man is telling is so twisted. I mean, Sarah's yeah. like living this real-life moment and just gobsmacked. So what Andrew has done so far, he's mostly been writing furiously in this afternoon to uh, try and manipulate me with the stories. Uh there's some truths in there that he's had that he's told me already. So there's a few small truths and some ones that aren't true as well.
3: Acknowledgement. This will include individuals, governments, and organizations upon approval from agencies involved. Introduction. A brief on the possible ghostwriter or myself, depending on my skill and ability. My spelling and punctuation sucks. So more than likely someone else interviewing me. It will also cover how a fat kid from Tasmania now has government citizenship in several countries. Can't mention at this stage. It will also cover the extreme difficulty of trying to return to normal life when your identity and character has sometimes had to do ridiculous things to complete the mission. Infiltration of dangerous people requires full commitment, including things such as that particular identity, character, and that particular country getting arrested to gain trust of inmates to working as a multi-millionaire tycoon to get inside elite money laundering and human trafficking rings, to being an actual well-off entrepreneur who was then asked to be a homeless person and piss-soaked clothing to scope a possible terror cell safe house. Oh, the fun, glamorous side of information gathering.
1: We know that people who do offend criminally or con others do have some very distorted ways of thinking about themselves and the world and the situations they're in. They are very good at justifying why things make sense, why things are okay, rationalizing them, making excuses. Yeah, some very complex kind of cognitive distortions there. There is a lot to
0: unpack in the Tonka trilogy, but let's look at Andrew's motivation for sending it in the first place. I am guessing here, but I imagine that Andrew suspects Emma has discovered his real name. You remember in the last episode that when Emma called Andrew's employer, she had asked if a person called Andrew Tonks, not Andrew Thompson, worked there. So it wouldn't take a rocket scientist to realize if Emma had his last name, she was only one click away from finding that Otago Daily Times article, outing him as a convicted fraudster. And what could possibly explain that away?
3: Chapter 1 I was a fat kid and I loved cake. All of these will be expanded. This is just a brief outline. I was born as Andrew William Charlton Tonks Thompson in little sleepy old Hobart Hospital, Tasmania, Australia. This was strange from the outright start. Why they thought it would be a good idea to give me, who would turn out to be a fat kid, a name of 20 people is still beyond my wildest dreams. Thanks for that, Mum and Dad. Turns out the confusing clusterfuck of names work massively in my favour for becoming the world's most unassuming spy. Self-proclaimed, of course.
0: So there it is. Andrew is actually the world's most unassuming spy. Self-proclaimed, of course. Well, obviously it would have to be self-proclaimed because I'm pretty sure there's no one else going to be proclaiming it for him. But while Andrew is penning his entertaining autobiography, Emma is
2: still reeling from the events of the day before at the bank. That night was 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 horrifying. I remember just waking up and feeling, I think at 3am and just being awake for the rest of the night, fearing of what was the next day. And yeah, it was, I think, from mutual discussion between, between you and I, Sarah, actually, that we were like, we've got to keep this conversation going. And that's where you came a lot more into the picture. So that next day, I am still focused on trying to recover as much money as possible. I know 100k could be gone, but I want to do as much as I can to get that money back. So at that stage, I had assumed that that legal document that I had had drawn up by my lawyer was going to be binding. And that was my security and that somehow I'll be able to get money back from this. So if you cast your mind back to previous episodes, Emma
0: had set up a loan agreement with Andrew through her lawyer and the security that was used in that agreement was the property that he had taken her to in Moke Lake on a date. But that week, her lawyer discovers that he, of course, does not own that property or in fact anything. And so that agreement is worth less than the
2: paper it's written on. And that was a hard moment because I went, God, I've got nothing to secure against that. I've got nothing. This whole agreement that was meant to protect me was doing nothing. There was no smoke and mirrors at that point. I could see crystal clear that the money and that, that, that document that he created was all fabricated. So at that point, the key element to the con was that loan agreement, and it had in there that he had to pay me back those interest payments every two weeks, and he kept doing that. Andrew needed to keep those loan repayments coming because
0: if he didn't, then he would be defaulting on the loan. The loan, which Emma knew now, was completely worthless, but it wasn't worthless to Andrew. If he defaulted, then he could be exposed as a fraud, and he obviously couldn't risk that. We now knew that the only money he likely had was the $7,000 of Emma's that he had withdrawn from the bank account. And like any good Ponzi scheme, he was using
2: that to drip feed Emma back her own money. But then I realized he needs to get money from somewhere else. He can't keep doing that. And after a few weeks that would run out. I figured fifty thousand, the original fifty thousand, had already been spent. And that's when my my blinkers, I got completely completely turned to that alcohol company because that I think was going to be the key. Andrew had spent the last six months telling Emma about his multitude of business
0: deals. But now that we knew that Andrew was a fraudster, we wanted to try and make sense of it all was that the whole con or was there more to it? By this stage, I'd become pretty involved and I can clearly remember three questions in my head at that time. The first was, were any of these business deals real or were they just designed to part Emma with her money? Was that the whole entirety of the con? Secondly, if they were real, what was Andrew's angle with each of those businesses? Did he just want Emma's money to fund legitimate business ventures so he could go straight? That seemed really unlikely, but I just couldn't see his angle yet. And finally, if they were real businesses, when were the police going to tell them that they were dealing with a convicted con man? So Emma and I started to do a little digging ourselves. The police, they were doing a great job looking into Andrew, but they were starting at the center of the con with Emma, and it would take a lot of time and resources before they were able to look at those other stories. And while they were doing that, Andrew, he was just free to carry on with business as usual. We also knew that the best shot of getting that money back from Andrew was to get ahead of him. And the most obvious place to start was the alcohol company that Andrew had been planning to buy into
2: at the beginning of their relationship. And that's who Emma is referring to now. We won't be using their name at all in the podcast. I'm going to talk about this person as Frankie. She was a victim just as much as I was. Sarah, at that point, you were part of that team and we began to dig deeper and look into these companies. And we could see that from the 4th of April, he was made a director and a shareholder in that company. So what I was trying to figure out was, does this person even know who she's dealing with? I remember quite clearly that you somehow had it in your head that possibly she was been dating him as well. And I remember you saying that, and I felt
1: sick to my stomach when you mentioned it, and then I went, oh, he really hasn't got that much game. So when, like, con artists or people high in psychopathy, they tend to focus all their manipulation on one person at a time because it's hard to keep up the act across multiple relationships. And then I was like, is,
2: is she in on it? That was one theory that you had along the way. And then the third theory was that she's a victim. And that was my gut instinct. So I think I was very clear at that point. She was a victim and she needed to be protected. Now, at that stage, I had brought in an amazing criminal lawyer and he was giving me wonderful advice. I remember talking to him and him saying, look, you're showing her your cards, if you call her, if you talk to her you're you're showing your your hand, and there's no going back to that, so it was a real risk, but at that point, it was the risk that i I wanted to take and that I was in control of because if she gave him more money, then it would prolong this process and i, I actually at that point I didn't know if I could do it for much longer I didn't know how long I could cope with the Stress, <laughs> the torture of it all. So the the catalyst was a message from him. And it was that he was going back to Frankie to ask for more money, but that she was being difficult about it and wasn't sure if it could take a bit longer to get that money back. And I, I then just went, no, this isn't going to be right. He's going to push it. He's going to uh, delay it. And he's going to make somebody else be a victim along the way. And that night I remember I remember sitting on my bed and going I need to call her and this needs to happen and
0: now a word from our sponsors
1: I'm an American vigilante I have a question for you what would you do
3: OhioMysteries.com.
0: I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And we have a, well, not so gently named podcast called Stop the Killing. Yep, there's a clue in the title. We need your help to end the global mass shooting epidemic. Find out how as we bring you the stories right from the source.
3: If you would have told me that a Columbine could have happened at Columbine, I would have said, no way.
2: I remember just thinking, he's got a gun. Something rose up inside, and I said, not my school.
3: What we can't underestimate is the power that individuals could have in stopping these school shootings. My little boy, Alex, was murdered. If we can fix the failures, we can save lives. My daughter, Elena, was killed. She'd want me to do something about this. I know she would do something about it.
0: Join us and be part of the solution. Subscribe now to Stop the Killing podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your
2: true crime podcasts. So I picked up my phone. I had her number, picked up my phone. I rang her and I said, you don't know me. You may have heard of me, but I've never met you in person, and I'm sorry to call you out of the blue. And can I know that sounds really weird. Um, I have been dating Andrew. And she goes, yeah, I know, I know of you. I know who you are, and I said, "Can I please, can I please Facetime you?" So I wanted to see her reaction. I wanted her to see my face because I just felt like this is, you know, if you only heard someone go quiet, you wouldn't know how they're reacting and, and what was going on. And I'm so glad I did. She's just a beautiful person, and I then, when she came on Facetime, I said, "I'm so sorry, I have to tell you this, but I have just found out that." Andrew is a con man. He's conned me, and I think he's conning you, and I want to talk to you so that we can protect protect both of us if we can. I remember there was a lot of silence that she was taking it in, and she she believed me straight away though, because one of the things that she did straight away was to actually take him off as a director. and some of the of that conversation for me is is a blur. Because I remember sitting there beforehand and being so nervous about calling her. She's probably one of the hardest conversations I've had along this process. I remember shaking shaking on the bed and just hoping that this is the right move. And I I still hope that that came through to her very genuinely because it was never about hurting her. She was a victim just as much as I was. She was really good at telling me what had happened so far. So she'd said that he had told her that his nephew had died back in Australia and that he had asked for money for $15,000 to help pay for funeral costs and to pay for, to help the family out. So the good person that she is, she believed him and gave that money back. And that was the time that I could tell her he doesn't have a nephew and there was no person that died. So she didn't even, like that whole, that lie, like I'm not even sure how somebody can get to that point and lie about a death of a child to get money. Like that's just disgusting.
1: There's research that indicates that people are high in psychopathy Like it requires less mental effort for them to lie than it does to other people. So I think there was one study where they had a group of people, some high in psychopathy, some low, and they had them tell either the truth or a lie about whether they recognized a a face or an image. And they scanned their brains and then they gave them two lessons on how to be better liars and then they repeated the task. And they found that the people who were high in psychopathic trait were far quicker after receiving that lesson to lie than the people who, who were low in psychopathic traits. And the areas of their brain involved in lying had much less activation. So suppressing the truth didn't require a lot of mental effort compared to people who were low in psychopathy. So they don't experience that same moral conflict that requires all that weighing up of, of what the costs are.
0: Another chilling insight into the criminal mind there from Dr Muir. But although Andrew's lies, they were rolling off the tongue with ease, Frankie was starting to smell a rat.
2: She also said that he was asking for more money. And it was at that point that she went, this is her red flag came, was coming up when he was saying that he wanted more money back. She's like, I think this is money laundering. It sounded, sounded dodgy at that time. She was already pushing back with her lawyer she said to me i had seen your name before and i went oh how and she goes well you signed the shareholders and and directorship for the for him purchasing part of the company i went no i didn't i did not do that and she goes it's clearly your name and i realized at that point cuz she sent the copy through he'd forged my signature at that stage like just another level of deception just a little forgery my fear at that point, was that she was then going to expose what I was doing, and then she'd also said to me how much money he had actually invested. So she said it was forty thousand dollars, and it was obviously very clearly from my money that she had she had taken for that purchase, and he was supposed to then give another sixty thousand, I think it was, to add up to the hundred thousand dollars to purchase half of her company. At that point, I had been involved with the police just a little bit, just starting that conversations, and she was then going to the police the next few days to put her victim impact statement or start to have that conversation with them. And I was, in many ways, I pleaded with her that she wouldn't expose me and that she would keep that going, And, and she said she wouldn't. I don't think at that point that he connected the dots between Frankie and I. That we were both onto him and that we were at that point working in cahoots, I guess, trying to take him down. So, by the end of the
0: conversation with Frankie, Emma has discovered that there is still $25,000 of her money in Frankie's company. And although she's all on board to block Andrew and appreciates being
2: warned, she is not prepared to return that money to Emma. And I remember being like, oh, my God, please don't spend my money. It's obviously come from this illegal legal route, but she was like, no, I have bills to pay. And I remember going back to my lawyer and going to the police and being like, she's got my money. And the, the policeman was like, no, we'll be able to get that back. We'll be able to work through that process. But little did I know as you deal with con men that if that money is taken without you knowing that it's been from a a fraudulent means – that they can still keep it, apparently. In the long run, you could argue that Emma financially would have been better off
0: if she hadn't told Frankie. Andrew would have probably convinced Frankie to give the money back, and he would have used it as he had with the last amount he'd recalled from Frankie's business and drip-fed it back to Emma in interest payments. But at the end of the day... It just felt like the right thing to do. And although she didn't get the money back, she did get a vital piece of information for the police. The forgery of her name, it was a tangible crime, and the police, they were starting to build their charges against him.
2: So while he kept pushing back and pushing back and and telling all these different elaborate stories and, and messaging me back and forth, and I had you in London helping me negotiate how to con the con, I was also working with the police, this amazing detective, Detective Matt, who was like my my rock. And he had already arrested Andrew twice in the past, I think it was two years. And he was all on board for taking him down. So I had been... Getting my documents, my impact statements and helping them in any way that I could to help point them in the right direction to see the different companies and that may have been um, part of the con. And at about two and a half weeks, Detective Matt said to me, look, we, we're we not ready to put an arrest warrant out for him. It's still very early and you need to be prepared that these processes for building cases against con men and con women take time. And we need to go through the, the right pathways to make sure that we do this right. And, and I said, I think he'll leave the country. Uh, before that, the other detective that had been involved said, look, I don't, that's not his MO. He won't leave and he's not violent. Well, uh, I'm glad she thought he wasn't violent, but it was still, you know, you don't know how someone's going to behave when they're pushed up against a wall.
0: And living with that fear was real, As I listened back to the recordings we made at the time, as Emma read me the stories in the Tonga trilogy, it reminded me just how palpable the fear was, and it was never far from the surface. For context, this is an excerpt about the tragic loss of Andrew's water skiing partner.
3: I saw Nick fall out of the corner of my eye, so I dropped the rope straight away so the boat could stop and pick us both up. Nick had done the cartwheels
2: and
0: was
3: was
2: skimming towards the bank. He didn't seem to be in control of the slide as he normally would be. He finally slowed down, but I could see he was c- unconscious. Sorry, I thought I heard someone's tip. What? Oh, my God, I don't want to look outside. Fuck, I'm going to ring Mum. Hold on. Emma. There's no one there. Stop ringing. Don't ring it, don't ring it, don't ring it. There's no one
0: there.
2: Are you sure? Yeah well that didn't feel good
0: um I'm sure I was properly terrified for Emma in that moment and it didn't help that I was stuck on the other side of the bloomin' globe that's probably why my first instinct was to call our mum who would have been the quickest to get to Emma she lived close by at the time but in hindsight I'm not actually quite sure what she would have been able to do At that time, we didn't know exactly where Andrew was, but we were pretty sure that he was still in New Zealand. The original agreement he'd made to repay the outstanding $100,000 in 24 hours had now been delayed, and he was coming up with endless excuses why he couldn't get the money.
3: All the wheels are still turning, and as I keep repeating, it is my most important issue to resolve. And I'd be very disappointed in myself if I couldn't get enough things lined up to be completely done by the end of the month.
2: Where we were in our relationship, I say that in inverted commas, uh, was, it was very unusual. It was like we just compartmentalized this, the money part. Let's leave it to the side. Let's not talk about
3: the elephant in the room. Sweetness, one last thing. I can't stop thinking about you and how sick I feel, and it honestly destroys me thinking you are feeling this pain also. I can't fight back the tears as I even write about it. I can't believe what was meant to be the happiest days became the worst in less than 24 hours. But I want you to be mindful for yourself in this time, as I can't.
0: And all the while that the messages are coming through, he is sending Emma more and more chapters of the Tonka Trilogy until eventually he sends through Chapter 6, the one that we've both been waiting for. Remember the chapter titled Becoming a Spy? WTF? I Wanted to Be a Businessman.
2: So I got an email this morning. So good morning, sweetness. That will probably leave you with more questions than answers. Sorry it is so messy. I have probably missed a lot as I just don't have the time or the authority to go into more depth at the Mo.
0: Emma and I had actually been looking forward to getting the chapters by this stage. They were almost like a laughter therapy because they were so ridiculous and they were just getting more and more so. For context, in the previous chapters, Andrew had mentioned two schoolmates, Carl and Sam, and they both take a starring role in chapter six. Carl is responsible for initially recruiting an unsuspecting Andrew into the world of international espionage.
3: He handed Carl and I envelopes and left. Inside each envelope there was three passports, 250000 USD cash advance and a bound book. The passports blew my mind. They all have the same photo as used in my Australian passport a few years prior. There was a Canadian one with a completely made-up name, and a new Australian one with my name is simply Andrew Charlton, and a diplomatic one using my full name. I was blown away by the diplomatic one and thought, fuck, what the hell are we going to do?
0: We will be revisiting Carl's story in later episodes, but for the moment, all you need to know is he opens the doors for Andrew into the world of international espionage. But it is not until Andrew finds himself in a Melbourne prison after being set up on false charges years later that his mate Sam comes back into the frame.
3: Sam had in his hand a file that had my private security work in it and my work for a US organisation. Sam sat down opposite me and started the conversation. He started with a huge apology and went in to explain that they had to break me to make everything appear 100% real. From my family concern to my newfound hatred of the government laws, it had been strategically planned. Sam then handed over to the suits from three different Australian organisations. I need authority on this comment. They've been very impressed with my business success, but also my ability to work with a very wide variety of people. They also had a glowing recommendation from the US organisation. I was also informed at this time that I was in a job interview, so to speak.
0: Andrew's attempt to try and plaster over the cracks in his story, like his use of the fake names or the articles in the newspaper about his fraud convictions, they were becoming chaotic and desperate. The Tonka Trilogy, it was a way of explaining the past, but when it came to the present and why he couldn't pay him back the money, he simply kept moving the goalposts. First he was moving the money from Australia, but then, no, now he wouldn't be able to do that. Never a reason, just on to the next lie. And it went through several iterations, like he was finding a new investor, he was selling everything he owned, or he was going to have to borrow the money. But other than the interest payments, which soon enough started to become irregular, he never could actually deliver that money. In the meantime, Detective Matt was building the case against him, but it was slow going, and they needed enough to ensure
2: that the arrest would stick. So at that point, the police had said to me, We have got a border alert out. So if he leaves the country, we will know. And it's kind of one of those moments where I was like, okay, at least if he can get out of the country, I'll feel better. I then got this call on, I think it was a Thursday, that two and a half weeks afterwards. And Detective Matt said to me, I've just found out Andrew has left the country and I think I just, I kind of dropped into the ground and melted and went, oh, thank fucking God. It's, it just felt like the safety of him not being in the same place as me. But I was really pissed that we hadn't caught him on the way out as well. Like, it was just like, oh, now what? Now I have to keep this up for longer. So the relief that Andrew is out of the country is
0: tempered with the knowledge that it was now even more vital for Emma to keep up the illusion of a
2: relationship. And obviously, I didn't want to have a relationship at all. The only reason why I was keeping up any sense of communication was because of my advice I had from my lawyer and with discussions with with you, Sarah, in London, with with, uh, my brother, was that this is the best way of trying to keep him on the hook. With sending him messages back and forth, I... A few times was just so over it. I just could not be bothered messaging him, and I was like, "Oh, Sarah, I'm out." And you would, you'd be awake at like two a.m. in London, and and be helping me co-write these messages. Yeah. So often, what we'd do would be basically, I'd copy and paste something you'd sent to me, and I'd be like, "Oh, yeah, that sounds really good," but I hadn't read through where it says, "Make sure you don't say like this thing or that like don't include this part, take that bit out." And I still had copied one and sent it on. And at that point, I was like, oh, God, it's the gig is up. He's caught us. He's going to know now.
0: Andrew seemed to buy our excuse. Or perhaps in hindsight, he was just a little distracted since fleeing the country. I'm going to depart from Emma's story for just a moment. And let me introduce you to Danielle, because at almost the exact same time Emma is breathing that sigh of relief that Andrew has left the country, Danielle and Emma's stories are about to intersect. So picture this. Danielle is on a lovely holiday with some visiting family on the east coast of Tasmania. They're all relaxing and enjoying a bit of downtime on an unseasonably warm April day. Danielle reaches into her bag and takes out her iPhone.
2: I was checking on Tinder and this guy popped up and I matched with him and I thought, this guy's really interesting and he was a businessman and he had business interests in Tasmania, in on the mainland and also in New Zealand. He'd told me that he was an AFL footballer. He did tell me that he wasn't on any form of social media because he's a businessman and, uh, you know, everybody had come after him with knives and forks looking for donations and, you know, money and things like that.
0: The man introduced himself to Danielle as Andrew Thompson, I was going to say, no prizes for guessing what his name was, but then I remembered who we're talking about, and actually, maybe there should be a prize. Meanwhile, back in New Zealand, Emma and I are wondering if that is the end of the road. Has Andrew done a runner with the outstanding amount, or would the $200,000 be too much of a temptation for Andrew? Could he resist having another bite at that cherry? Emma waited anxiously to see if he'd respond to any of her much more carefully worded texts. When her phone finally does ping, her sigh of relief is replaced by a chuckle as she reads Andrew's latest solution to paying her back the money.
3: I'm taking a job with Sam. Pay from it will clear absolutely everything.
0: Turns out the world's most unassuming spy was being pulled out of retirement for one last mission.
3: I can't actually say where or when, sweetness, but I'll be safe compared to some jobs. I've made arrangements, so if I get... Held up. The pay is to go directly to you. More than what I owe you, but I can get that any time later. Kisses.
2: Shadow dark,
0: palm the wall, moving slow and stretching tall in her hands, hold them up, that's cold. A Shadow dark, palm the wall.
2: If you liked our story, please share with family and friends. And like, subscribe and review so others can learn from my lessons. If you or anyone you know has been affected by something similar, please reach out for help. You are not alone. We've included some links in our show notes. Conning the Con was made with the input of Dr. Sophie Muir and the original music is by the talented Aroha Min.
0: Something is creeping in, don't follow it down.
2: Something is creeping in, don't follow it down.
0: Check out more podcasts from Community Podcast Productions
2: dive into the heart of crime with foul play crime series immerse yourself in the most perplexing cases where each twist and turn is more baffling than the last with riveting storytelling and detailed analysis foul play brings the unsolved and unexplained to life captivating your imagination listen to foul play crime series now where every story is a puzzle waiting to be solved
1: 3am the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire let me tell you what you're gonna get you're gonna hear stories about demonic possessions prison stabbings skinwalkers, glitches in the matrix cult leaders missing 411 night marchers operation paperclip mesopotamian devil worship and so many monsters it'll give kanye west a runaway for his money pop and meme culture also aren't off topic A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends, trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go.